Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Harold. Thank you, John. Do I need to turn this on, Noah, or do you do? You do. Very good. Thank you. I'll just make sure I know what I'm doing here. Gracias. Ah. Wait, did it just, why is it not moving? There we go. All right, we'll get. I think we need a new clicker. All right. So Daniel 2, please. Daniel chapter 2. Um, We started with Daniel 1 last week, obviously, um, and today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 2. There are 49 verses, so I'm not going to um, read 49 verses at one time. What we're going to do is sort of look at it verse by verse or section by section, and as we get to the individual sections, we'll read the verses uh, that are associated with that, and hopefully that will help. Uh, make the study a little bit um, more cohesive. One of the, I don't want to say challenges, but one of the interesting dynamics when you're teaching passages that are this familiar, like we all know this story, right? Like we all know the story. We've either had it at Sunday school or at camp or something like that. So we're familiar with these. Uh, So one of the challenges as we go through it is to not allow the familiarity of it to um, stifle our ability to learn something from it. And I think every time we study the Word of God, our prayer should be that God reveals something new and fresh to us. Not something new as in a new idea, but something new for us as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Click. I just think it's I think it's stuck. Yeah, the the. You can just tell me. Okay, if you could advance it one, please. Thank you. So we're going to look at this in three sections. Uh, we're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream, obviously, God using Daniel in relation to the dream, and then as we look at that, we're going to see that Daniel dares to have a firm purpose, and the second part is Daniel makes the dream known, um, and then the third part of what we're going to look at is the fact that Daniel is rewarded in all of this. So next slide, please. The first section, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, is uh, verses two, uh, verses 1 through 16 of, um, of Daniel. So look at verse chapter um, 2, verses 2 and 3, and we'll read the first couple verses along with that. Are you bringing it back or no? Ah, yes. What did you do? Awesome takes an engineer with a master's degree. I'm just a merely a measly accountant. So, um, so Daniel chapter 2, uh, verses 2 and 3, and this sets the stage for what's taking place in this chapter. Then the king commanded, now this is King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And one of the challenges of doing a PowerPoint for Daniel chapter 2 is spelling Nebuchadnezzar correct on every slide. <laughs> Actually, it had spell check. So like it was someone somewhere had saved this at some point. So then King Nebuchadnezzar commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. 
So the king came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, "I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled." To know the dream. So one of the things before we advance, as we're looking at this, one of the things we want to observe is that there were four categories of people that they were calling, and I don't know the distinction and the difference between the four categories, but there were magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and then Chaldeans. So they they were all to be summoned. So the king was really troubled by this dream, whatever whatever however he perceived it. And of course, we only know the description of it. We don't actually know what he saw, but you can Google, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar's statue or from Daniel two, and you can see all sorts of nice um, uh, drawings and depictions. And I picked one of them that I thought was least dramatic, uh, so as to not scare us all as we go through this. Um, he wanted the whole, basically everyone he could possibly get. He wanted them to come and help him with this.、Um, he had this dream, and and he was troubled by it.、Um, he wanted to understand it, and I think the part that probably troubled them the most is we're going to talk about it last was the stone that was、um, that broke free. And crushed、uh, the statue.、Um, spoiler alert, I guess, if you didn't know the story. So he calls these all together, and then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. So those of you that know, again, have studied this before,、um, know that from chapter or verse four of chapter two to、uh, I think it's chapter seven, six or seven, the book is in Aramaic, which is different than the language that the Old Testament is normally written in. It's not always. Uh, Hebrew, but it's normally written in Hebrew, and this is written in Aramaic. And there's a number of reasons why this may be. I can tend to think that it's a reminder to us that this section, the section that is mostly in Aramaic, is dealing with or re- revealing to us God's dealing with the nations. So the Aramaic was spoken among the Gentiles rather than the Jews, and it's a reminder to us that this section is really God telling us what He's going to do with the nations. It's a it's a nation focus, a Gentile focus.、Um, some some、um, protagonists or some co- commentaries like to argue that this precludes Daniel from being a historic book, a, an old book. That it's a newer, newer、um, documentation.、Um, the concern that all of these critics have,、uh, this higher thinking critics have, is that the prophecy that that、um, Daniel reveals to Nebuchadnezzar and the others was so accurate, entirely accurate, that it creates a huge problem for those that want to deny the sovereignty of God. For those that want to deny the wisdom of God, the all-know, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, and so because of the accuracy of the prophecy, they want to discount the book, and so they look for anything. They even look for the very beginning where it says in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, and there's an argument over what's the second year, and there's a lot of commentators that give a lot of really good explanation or gives really good explanations of how the Chaldea the Babylonians counted the years of rain and how it reconciles with the training of the Daniel and the,、uh, the other captives and Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Like everything that they argue about,、um, these higher critics that try to discount the timing of the Book of Daniel and the authenticity of the Book of Daniel,、um, there's always a legitimate、um, counter argument. 
and if this wasn't said by Bob, it might have been said by Keith at the retreat. Every archaeological discovery that that happens actually validates more and more the Word of God. Those of you that were here years ago now, when Rob Sullivan was here and revealed some of that stuff, that's amazing. Like, just amazing what has been discovered that validates the Word of God over and over again. So the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So the king says to them, Tell me my dream, and tell me what it means. And they're like, Well, you must have misspoke. Tell me your dream, and we'll tell you what it means. And the king says, No, no. The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. Not thrown into a timeout room. You're going to be thrown, torn limb to limb. And every commentary that you, that you read about this actually says it was done. Not to these particular people, but like this was typical punishment during the Babylonian reign. There was so little regard for human life that they would do things like this. So the option was, you're going to be torn limb from limb, or if you get it right, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. On Wednesday night, I was thinking about this, on Wednesday night we were praising, and I really, 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 really appreciated um, this past Wednesday night um, that we had so many praises on the board that our brother ran out of room on the PowerPoint, right? Like, it was good. We need to remember to thank God. When we ask God for something, and He answers our prayers, and He does, we need to praise His name. We need to praise His name. And we were praising the Lord this Wednesday night for how well our young people are doing at school. And as I was reading this passage, I thought to myself, we should really see how good they are. Next semester, the professor should just give them a blank piece of paper and say, tell me the question and the answer, and we'll see if they get that right. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? To really test your ability to know your studies. I'm waiting for Ian to answer. (laughs) Now, so anyway, we were praising the Lord for how well they're doing, and we should continue to praise the Lord for his answers. So King Nebuchadnezzar is pretty firm. Show me the dream and its interpretation. And I love this answer. The Chaldeans, I wrote in my Bible next to it, this is true. The Chaldeans said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. Amen? Right? Like it's one of those things that even they knew that what the king was asking was too much for them. And remember at the beginning of this, he called together um, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. He called together everybody that would have an ability of answering this question. Everybody that would have an ability to answer this question. It would be like the president calling together his entire cabinet and maybe even expanding that to all of the senators and all of the congressmen, and they wouldn't have a clue either, right? Like, we just know that they don't have the answers. And some of the problems that we face here on Earth the spiritual problems, I'm not, you know, if you have a medical problem, thank God that we have people like Scott and Steph and Esther Brew and um, Amy Schwartz and, and others that know medicine, right? Like, thank God for that. When I, I, I was talking to Megan on, on Wednesday about my, my therapist has, uh, my physical therapist has really done a nice job of restoring movement when it really, really hurts, 
she knows what she's doing. Like we're really thankful for people that are experts. And if you have um, mental health issues, we're thankful for people that know the answers for that. If you have financial issues, we're thankful for the people that know. There are there are people that know things. But when it comes to solving, like what's going to happen here on Earth in the long run, or what's going to happen in hist- in the future, or or the problem that man faces, and j- like man doesn't have an answer to that. And when man tries to develop answers. They're all wrong. You know, things that are sin, man now tries to to um, address through therapy um, or address through affirming med- medical treatments or whatever the case may be. Like, man doesn't have the answer for spiritual problems, for spiritual challenges. There is not a man on earth who can... Who can answer those questions there's only one Christ and he's chose to reveal to us some of what's going to take place a lot of what's going to take place and because of his revelation of it we know some of that or a lot of that as we go forward so they they acknowledge there's not a man here on earth that can do this there's no one who can do this and it even they even say Except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. We were reminded this morning that God the Father is a spirit. Now God did dwell in flesh, amen? Uh, They were not aware of that, but God did dwell in flesh and we're thankful for that, that he tabernacled among us, that for 33 years he lived among us and qualified, I say that, generously qualified himself to be our substitute on the cross of Calvary. Qualified himself to be our great high priest. So then this gets to a point where Daniel is brought into this because Daniel was going to be um, eliminated as well because of uh, falling into that large category of wise men, if you will. So Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch the captain of the king's guard and he said why is the decree of the king so urgent the king was so mad that these guys basically said we can't help you we know the dream is troubling we know it's problematic but we can't help you no one can help you and so Eric made the matter known to Daniel and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the king um, an interpretation so here we see Daniel Responding to this crisis, so um, one of the one of the criticisms <laughs> I, I find that critics are usually people that have not accomplished the, very much themselves. It's very easy for them to point fingers at other people and say no, 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 right? But there are critics that write about the fact that Daniel shouldn't have been participating in the governance of the kingdom of Babylon. That even though he was taken hostage, held captive, trained, that he shouldn't have been participating. And that he was being corrupted by um, all of that. You know, one of the key verses from uh, chapter 1 was that Daniel purposed in his heart, right? He purposed in his heart not to be corrupted by the, the food and drink of the king. So Daniel was very purposeful in recognizing that he was in a certain situation... For a time being, 
I think he also recognized that this was temporary because he talked about when it would all end, right? Or he recognized when it would all end. That he recognized he was in a certain situation for a certain period of time and that perhaps like Esther, it was such a time as this, right? Like that he was there to be used by God. Um, and so uh, those critics, again, I think just fall short of uh, reality and recognizing um, the situation. I was, um, you know, we all, not all, but but many of us will be put in situations, if not in the past, in the future, where it's just not ideal, right? It's just not ideal. Um, I watched a movie yesterday about um, Eric Little and his time in the concentration camp in China. Uh, the situation wasn't ideal, and there were some things that he did to curry favor, uh, to get more food, to do this or to do that, and like all of it is irrelevant when you see the fruit of what he did while he was there, right? Um, and sometimes you're just put in a situation that's not ideal, and you turn to the Lord, and you commit yourself to the Lord, you purpose in your heart to do that which the Lord has called you to do. So there is a crisis. This first section, there is a crisis. The crisis is the king has a dream. He um, is troubled by the dream, and he demands to know the dream and the interpretation of the dream. Um, usually when faced with a crisis, one of the good things to do is sort of to define reality. What's true about this? Well, one of the things that Daniel realized was true is that there's still a God in the heaven, right? He It says, what did it say there, that he... Remained calm with prudence and discretion. There's no panic. There's no flitting around. There was no uh, reaction, um, urgent reaction. The king responded with urgency, kill them all. And Daniel is sort of just like, okay, this is a problem. Let's see how God solves it. With prudence and discretion. I am... I, I, I probably, if I had to pick my favorite character in Scripture, would be Peter because I'm worse than Peter when it comes to impulsiveness, speaking, acting, doing. I act first, and then usually think about three days later about what I did. Like right, like it just happens. It's it, it's it's not a good thing all the time. Now it's not a good thing to not be acting either. <laughs> Um, so there's a happy medium that's in the spirit, um, and Daniel, I think, found it. So he confronted reality. He knew that there was no man on earth could do this, but he knew that there was a God in heaven who could. Daniel didn't panic, and he trusted in his God to um, solve the problem. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 12... We looked at this a little bit at the retreat. There's two um, exhortations here for us as believers that are good to know. Looking to Jesus. Like, where should we look when there's a problem? Where should we look first? To Jesus, right? Like, in prayer, patiently waiting on Him. Um... Nowadays, it's so easy to connect with people that I would have to guess that if most of us under my age are faced with some dilemma, the first thing we're going to do is text a friend. Right? Like, it's just so easy to do. Or text someone. Looking to Jesus. 
And then verse 3, consider him. Like, I think that was part of what Keith's uh, theme was, or part of what Keith's messages were during the retreat, was to really fix our eyes on Christ. To keep him fo- in our focus. To keep him forefront in all that we, all that we do. Um, and all that we, um, how we respond. You know, we're getting to a point where, um, artificial intelligence is able to write thesis papers, um, able to um, solve problems, right? Um, I was tempted yesterday or Friday to, I don't have an AI account, and, and we're not allowed to set one up at work right now um, because we half of, what is re, half of what is reported back is inaccurate. So there's still a problem with AI, but we're not forbid, we're forbidden from using it um, to do research at our office. So I didn't want to set up an account, but part of me was wanted to set up an account and say, prepare a five-point message on Daniel chapter 2. Like, I wanted to see what would happen, and there, it would have spit out something. It would have absolutely spit out something. Probably would have even found a picture for the statue, but I didn't want, I, I didn't want to set up an account because I'm not supposed to have one at the moment. Um, so... There's going to be solutions to problems that are presented out there, but they're all they're all poor substitutes for looking unto Jesus. They're all poor substitutes for considering Christ, for fixing our eyes on Christ. I'm not opposed to technology, I'm not opposed to AI, I'm not opposed to Googling for answers, but we but let's not look there first. <laughs> let's look to the Word of God. Let's allow the Word of God to transform us, to renew our minds, to make us more like Christ, to help us walk in the grace and, um, grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, to help us walk worthy of the Lord Jesus, first and foremost. Let's, let's have Christ be first in how we solve our problems and look for direction. So the next section is Daniel chapter 17 through 30, and it's um, looking at the dream, uh, how, di- how God reveals the dream, to Daniel. Daniel dares to have a firm purpose. Um, thank you, Harold, for singing the song because I picked some phrases from it to, for my outline. Um, verses 17 and 18. And Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Daniel. It's a good thing to pray that we're not destroyed. Right, <laughs> facing destruction, it's a good thing to pray that we're not destroyed. Um, look what look what he did though. He went to um, his three friends, and we're going to see them appear at the end of this as well. Three three other faithful men, and he said, "Let's pray. Let's seek mercy from God. Let's seek mercy from God." Again, where do you turn? Where do you turn when um, thing when you're facing a crisis? Where do you turn first? I think that's telling of us. I think it's telling, and and the, and th- this is instructive to me. Again, I often act before I think or pray. Sometimes, like this is this is a challenge to some of us. Some of you are much more attuned with the right order of things. But Daniel went to the house and uh, found Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to seek mercy from God, um, the God of Heaven. Now that's an interesting title. It's prim- primarily, there are a few exceptions, 
what is primarily used in Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, which are all the same time period. And it all deals with when the Israelites, the Jewish people, were um, scattered and held captive. And so if you think about the Jewish people and the Jewish faith, it was land-based, if you will. There was a tabernacle, there was priesthoods, there were sacrifices, there were all of these physical things that were centered on when you're in the land, when you're in Jerusalem, when you do this, when you do that. Now they're scattered. And so it's not the God that's abiding with them in the tabernacle. It's the same God, but Daniel's referring to him as the God in heaven. Like, they're not still in the land. They're not still getting together around the tabernacle for holidays, holy days. The priests aren't there functioning, but there's still a God in heaven, right? There's still a God in the heaven. I think that's why that term is used. Perhaps others will have some other ideas, but I think the fact that they're not in the land, that they're not gathered together, that they can't worship the way God had wanted them to worship, He refers to him as the God in heaven. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. You notice Daniel is primarily the passive beneficiary. Daniel went and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, give me some time. Daniel went to his uh, friends and they prayed. And then it says he re- God revealed, or the mystery was revealed to Daniel. He was the intended beneficiary. And notice what Daniel's first response was. He posted on Instagram, I'm so humble that God chose, to, chose me to reveal the mystery to me. No, right? What's that called? A humble brag, right? Which Instagram is filled with. Six million humble brags a day. I'm so humble that I'm so humble that God gave me this beautiful car. Look at it. You know, like right, like it's just that's what Instagram is a highlight reel of humble uh, humble brags. No, the first thing Daniel did was praise God. He said, "Blessed be the name of God forever and ever." Daniel takes no credit for this. No credit. He, he immediately ascribes all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise, all of the worth to God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. This was not about Daniel being smart. This was not about Daniel's education. This was not about Daniel's training. This was not about Daniel's uh, schooling. This was about a God who owned all wisdom and might. This is about a God who is sovereign, that he changes times and seasons, and he removes kings and sets up kings. Aren't you glad that we have a God that is sovereign and omnipotent and omniscient? Aren't you glad that despite our best effort to find the absolute worst people to govern us, God still is the one who removes kings and sets up kings? God is in control of all of this. That doesn't, and we're fortunate to live in a de, de representative government where you can go and vote if you want to do that, or you not don't have to vo- go and vote. In Peru, if you're a Peruvian citizen, you must vote. Despite how awful the candidates are, you must go and vote. 
In the United States, you can vote by not voting, or you can go and vote and pick one, or pick none, or do whatever you want to do. But it's God who removes kings, and God who sets up, sets up kings. And God has allowed, since the time of Christ, when the world rejected Christ, God has allowed really awful people to govern us. Really awful people to govern various countries around the world. God has allowed all that. It's part, it's part and parcel with dispensational thinking. In every dispensation, God provides for his people an opportunity of stewarding And in every dispensation, man fails. And we've certainly failed in this dispensation of grace as well. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. (laughs) He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. That's Daniel basically saying, thank you, God. Praising God. And you and I, you know, one of the big things right now with, um, if you want to, if you're, if you don't think it'll be too damaging to your, to yourself, Google how to relieve anxiety or how to relieve depression. Now don't do anything that, just look at the list. But almost in the first three or four is going to be develop an attitude of gratitude. The world has found out that giving thanks is a healthy thing to do. Believers have been told to do this forever, right? Believers have been told to do this forever. And I think we should really develop an attitude of gratitude towards our God who um, provides us and gives us all good things. When we come on a Wednesday night, and I'm not trying to be prescriptive, I'm trying to be encouraging or ex- exhortative, When we come on a Wednesday night, our hearts should be overflowing with what God did in the previous week. He should be overflowing because he's done great things with us and for us, right? To you, O God of my fathers, I will give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. Everything Daniel has, he recognizes, comes from God. And you and I are in the very same situation. Whatever we have that we're able to use for the kingdom of God, for his people is because God first gave it to us, right? There's nothing we have of value in and of ourselves. It all is the Lord's and from God. You have now made known to me what we asked of you. There's a direct um, recognition that what we prayed, how we prayed, you responded. You have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. What started off looking like a hopeless situation, one man acting it with prudence and discretion, asked for a little bit of time, God granted him favor in that, went to his three compadres who spent some time praying together, and then God did the rest. And what happened is God answered Daniel's request. And it wasn't a a lofty prayer. I mean, at least what's recorded for us, right? They sought that they would not be killed. (laughs) A good prayer. Now, obviously, they must have asked for a revelation because it says that, that he gave them what he asked for. But we don't need to ask 
for we don't need to pray long prayers. Some of us have an ability of talking forever and ever and ever. You don't need to do that when you pray. They were also very direct and very big. Like it was a very big prayer. I think sometimes if that was me, I'd almost be afraid to pray, to ask for a prayer because I'd be afraid that God wouldn't answer it. I can remember when my dad was sick and looked like he wasn't going to recover. I remember being fearful of telling my mom that we were praying for my dad's health. Because people do die, right? Like, not everyone today recovers. Not everyone is healed. God answered my prayer in a much better way when my father was born again rather than healed, right? And there was a recognition of that. I was afraid of praying for my dad's recovery because I was afraid that God wouldn't do it and then God would look bad in front of my unsaved family and friends. We never have to really be afraid of that. Never. God wants us to pray big. God wants us to trust Him. When we do that, it's a reflection of our understanding of God's character. When Daniel asked for this, he was acknowledging that God was able to do it. And that's a compliment to God. That's a praise and a worship of God, of acknowledging who God is by asking Him for big prayers. So he had a firm purpose. He trusted in God and manifested itself in his behavior. It's very easy for us to say, I trust God. It's easy to say that. We're going through, on Wednesday night, a book that is that is a lot of times is a contrast bef- between what is said and what is done. They say, or we say, or those that say, they love God but hate their brothers, right? Like there's a, con- there's a contrast between what's said and what's done. And unfortunately, there's a lot of contrast in our lives between what we say and what we believe or do. And we need that to be consistent, right? Um, they do not try to solve the problem themselves. That's a challenge for a lot of us, right? Like, we can fix it. We can take care of it. I can I can do this, right? Um, they sought mercy. They went after a big prayer. God responded and revealed the dream and the interpretation to Daniel, and Daniel immediately praised the Lord and ascribed to him all the credit and honor. You know, we were looking at... Um, well, we're going to see this as we go through this. Um, so... Daniel um, obviously has this exciting. He's going to go to the king. He's going to tell the king. So Ariok brings in Daniel to the king. And he says in verse 25, this is awesome because it's such an amazing contrast. Ariok says to the king, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Good old Ariok. He found Daniel, right? He's taking credit for this from day one. <laughs> like, such a contrast to Daniel. We're going to see Daniel saying, Oh, king, no, it's not me. And yet, Ariok wanted to attach himself to something. He wanted to be the center of what was going on. That's typical of the flesh. The, the psychiatric community, community would call it narcissism. 
Like they used to count how many times President Obama said "I" in his speeches or "my." Like, and and I'm not going to ascribe to him that he's narcissistic. I'll let others do that. But it was usually in the hundreds, hundreds of times he would refer to himself. There are just some people, and we have to watch because it's probably a tendency for each one of us. There are some people that have to be the center of everything that's going on, and social media makes it absolutely worse. Want to be the first person to share that someone died? Want to be the first person to share that someone got married? Want to be the first person? Like everything has to be about us, like individually, an individual. Everything has to be I, 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 I. I have found the among the exiles. John, when we're looking at the Gospel of John and the first epistle to John, he barely mentions himself. John the Baptist would say he must increase, talking about the Lord Jesus, and I must decrease, talking about himself. Like, that's the example that's given to us in Scripture. For some of us, it's harder than others. But it's certainly not pleasing to the Lord when we attempt to assert, insert ourselves as the focal point. The king said to Daniel, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel said, No. Like, can you imagine? Daniel's like, I gotta, I gotta go talk to the king. And Eric's there. I found Daniel. I, th- I think Daniel did this just for Ariok. Like, I found Daniel. And then the king says, Daniel, can you in fact tell me the interpretation? Nope. Then what are you doing here? Right? Like that would, must have been, Eric probably, Ariok probably slunk, slunk to the floor. And the king's probably thinking off with his head, right? We know the king is capable of doing that. But Daniel's full answer is no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers. Notice he included all four of the categories that the king asked for in chapter 1. Can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed. Daniel doesn't even say he's made known to me. Daniel's just, what was one of the songs we sang at the retreat? Channels only, right? Wow, so important to remember. We're just a channel. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. <laughs> to you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, the mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I might I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel's very clear about why he's there as the channel. That he's only there as a channel. That God did all the work. Ariok tries to take credit for finding Daniel. And I think it, this is really, you know, whether it's the workplace, school, or the, the assembly, the, uh, the working in the kingdom of God, if we're concerned about our role, first and foremost, very little will be accomplished. If we're concerned about what role we take, very little will be accomplished. If we're concerned about self, we will eventually be offended. I think there was a quote at the um, retreat of, from Brother Gessner that said something about, if you think you're something, you're able to be offended. Um, If we're concerned about self, we are not esteeming others higher than ourselves. 
I think there's a real challenge. If you look at um, Proverbs 18 for a second. This was a verse that was shared with me decades ago. Proverbs 18, verse 16. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. You know, as we recognize uh, the spiritual truth, biblical truth about gifts, which are enablements that help us work within the kingdom of God, that are used to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to spread the gospel of God according to His Son. If we have, we all have a gift. And that gift, God will, and I can say that emphatically because of 1 Corinthians 12, the first several verses, God will give you an appropriate venue to use that gift or gifts. You do not need to beg, break down walls, be aggressive, um, be focused on self, to have the gift used. If you whatever gift you've given, God has also provide provided a venue for you to use that gift. And I can say that with confidence in 1 Corinthians 12. I think I like obviously I I teach from the platform which is only one gift. There are many many gifts that are much more needed than that particular gift. I can, with pretty much assurance, say I've never asked to speak. Ever. Like, uh, and that was why this verse was given to me by Steve Holsheiser, and I think Bob probably repeated it to me at one point. Like, if you think you have the gift of speaking, God will provide a venue for you to use it. I don't have to beg to have it used. I don't have to plead to have it used. Um, God will provide a means by which it can be used. That's true for every single gift that is needed. And there's a, it's been evident over the last year, if not more, how important the gift of mercy is needed, how important the gift of hospitality is needed and sharing meals with people, how important the, the gift of, if empathy is not a gift, it's certainly a fruit of the Spirit, how important that is in all of this. It's very important. We talked about the God in heaven. Latter days, and there's a little bit of conf- lack of specificity about what latter days is, but it's referring to the time of the Gentiles while skipping mostly over the time between the two returns of Christ. In the Old Testament, other than, where we're going to study the 70 weeks, other than that, the church age is not pictured in the Old Testament. It's a parenthesis. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is a parenthesis in Romans. But the church age is a parenthesis in God's time dealing with man, dealing with the Jewish people. There's um, well-meaning believers that fail to recognize that, that, that teach that the church is the successor to Israel. It's called replacement theology. That's false. Te- that's not good Theology. Let's take let's take it that way. That's not good um, Bible study. It's a it's a it's a challenging basis that's going to lead you down the wrong path at times. So Daniel then makes the dream known. 
you saw this image, mighty and exceedingly bright. Uh, the head of the image was fine gold. It's really pretty amazing that Daniel summarizes this in like six verses. Uh, fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its leg of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Um, we'll go back then for a minute. So the subject was this great image, and the statue had four sections. There was a head of gold, um, chest and arms of silver, the torso and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron, and feet of part iron and part clay. Um, the most important part is the stone, that was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. So this stone um, was used in this dream, was um, not touched by human hands, and it became a mighty mountain and it pulverized the image. So no matter how great the image was, the stone oversees all that. Um, here's a picture. I have no idea how accurate this is to what Nebuchadnezzar uh, saw in, in his dream. But here is a picture. It's hard to read, but the head of gold um, depicts, this is what most commentators believe, and there's actually um, evidence within the book of Daniel that supports this when you get to chapters 5 and 6. The head of gold is the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel actually tells um, Nebuchadnezzar that. The chest of arms in silver is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, and that's referenced in chapters 5 and 6. Um, Daniel chapter 5 verse 28 and that took place in 539 BC uh, the belly and thighs are bronze and that refers to the Greek and Macedonian kingdom which is referenced in Daniel chapter 8 and that um, Alexander conquered the Medes and Persians around 330 BC and then the fourth kingdom um, is re the Romans conquered the Greeks in 63 BC now this is where it gets a little funky in that how long is the Roman Empire depicted in this picture and what's next? So um, a lot of dispensational, premillennial um, commentators recognize the Roman um, Empire existed for about a thousand years. It then ceased to exist as it is, but nothing's replaced it. So we're sort of still in that frame of mind and yet to come has been the part about the feet and the ten toes. And this is where every once in a while you start hearing about when the EU is being formed, was there going to be ten countries part of the EU, and was that going to be the feet and the clay? So that part hasn't yet happened. And the other reason we know it hasn't yet happened is because the stone hasn't destroyed all of this yet. The stone hasn't destroyed it. And, and the kingdom of Christ hasn't been established yet. And this is where those that look at replacement theology or amillennialism, where they don't believe in the literal millennial kingdom, they think that when the Roman Empire dissolved in the early part of, of the um, A.D. after Christ, that the kingdom of God was established and that things get better and better and better for Christ to return. I don't think any of us could logically believe that things have been getting better and better and better, right? So it just doesn't make sense. So there will be, I just went over this, there's an inferior kingdom that replaces Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, and then Alexander the Great uh, replaces them with um, the Greek and Macedonian Empire, and then the Romans come along. Um, and this is about the stone, and in the days of those kings, that those kings meaning the ten toes, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. Has that happened? No. 
No, like this is why this part of it is still future. Everything else happened in history. It's verifiable. It ha- and it ha- happened after Daniel was written. This has not happened yet. The ten toes are still yet to manifest itself, if you will. And the stone has still yet to destroy all of the man-made empires. And God is still yet to set up a kingdom that shall never end. When the millennial kingdom is established, it will be for a thousand years and then into eternity. That's what the stone is going to establish. So the rock is the rock of salvation and the rock of judgment. We can look at, uh, we don't have time, but Revelation 19 and 20 um, help us understand the millennial kingdom, the establishment of the millennial kingdom. And then the last section, just real quickly, Daniel is rewarded. There's not much to unpack here. Here's what King Nebuchadnezzar says. He fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. Now Daniel made it very clear that Daniel had nothing to do with all of this. He kept giving God all the credit all the time. The king had no one else to worship. Remember, these guys are used to idol worships, right? Idol worshiping. So he bowed down before Daniel as the um, representative of God. A lot of commentators will criticize Daniel allowing him to do this, but you can see who the king evidently gave, or eventually gave credit to. Truly your God is God of gods, and Lord of kings, and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over the whole um, king's court. So, Nebuchadnezzar recognizes Daniel, Daniel's God as the one true God or and I shouldn't say that as the God of gods he probably still believed in all the, the small g gods but he did definitely because we see a problem with that but the God of gods Daniel was rewarded did Daniel seek the reward did Daniel seek to be put in this position no not at all he was made ruler over all of Babylon and over all the wise men and you know what I love about what he did first and this is what a real this is true leadership. True a true leader. What he did first was he said, Can I have permission to appoint my three brothers to help me with all of this? A true leader recognizes that he cannot do it on his own and brings along others, not just delegates responsibilities or tasks, but brings them along and gives them opportunity to serve along side them. And Daniel remained with the king in his court. So, really interesting story, um, not, not story as in make-believe, but an account of something that happened in history. And again, we know the story, but hopefully there's some things that we learn from it today that's new to us as we seek to walk in a manner worthy of God's calling. Our Father, we're thankful for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for what's taking place in the Sunday school downstairs. We ask that you would uh, continue to work in the lives of these young ones, um, that they would have a clear understanding of who you are and what your desire is for them. We thank you for the food that's been provided downstairs. We, We acknowledge it as being from you, that you provide our daily bread. And we just give you thanks for it. And we ask a blessing upon it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you.